0: That is the book of Genesis, Genesis. And uh, if you wouldn't mind this morning as you're going to the book of Genesis, go down to the 22nd. Thank you so very much, ma'am. Go down to the 22nd chapter there and just hold your place. Amen or oh me? Well, we're going to just do a few formal pleasantries introductions this morning before we get into the word of god since we've got some time here today i want to say first and foremost give honor to whom honors due thank you so much to my very dear good friend pastors tony and bethany winkler here at my refuge church their board and their staff thank you for allowing me to come and i just speak blessings and honor on them and on the church here Uh, for allowing me the opportunity to be able to come home and to see you and to be here with you and to preach the word. So if you wouldn't mind this morning, would you honor your leaders today giving a round of ovation? True, humble, godly servants, wonderful, wonderful men and women. The next thing that I want to say is for those of you that do not know me, not that it matters to a hill of beans of who I am today. How many of you know it's all about? who he is. It's all about his word. But as I said to someone in the back today, you know, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Does anyone remember that when they were throwing the palm branches down? Sometimes Jesus still rides in on donkeys. I just get to be the donkey that he rides in on today. How about that? So I am John Skipworth and I am the lead pastor today, have the privilege and honor of serving as the lead pastor of Rochester Assembly in Rochester, Minnesota. In the beautiful upper green rolling alfalfa hills of the Midwest, corn and soybean everywhere, big rolling hills, uh, big, beautiful, big red barns. It doesn't snow there all year long. It's not Iceland. It's already starting to turn fall there. It was 49 degrees when I left out yesterday morning at 4 a.m., got up to 73 as a high for yesterday. And I have the privilege today of pastoring one of the great Assembly of God flagship churches in the upper Midwest. Honestly, I believe our church, God's church there, is the largest one-site Assembly of God church in all of the state. Now, there are other larger Assembly of God churches, but they're multi-site campuses. I have a dear friend here with me today, my friend Mr. Josh Thornhill. I didn't even know he was going to be here, his wife Lexi Thornhill. He was up there with us just last week. He's an incredible worship leader. He was up as a a guest worship leader, praying about an opportunity, looking at the city. And uh, Josh got to see it and to be with us. And Josh, there were 1,500 people there that Sunday morning that you were there. And I've been getting texts and emails every day since you left about what an incredible job that you did. So the church is doing well. It's been the best numerical year, best financial year in the history of the church's 100-year existence. God has been real faithful. We're building, we're growing, we're remodeling. Expanding. You ready for this? We had 2,300 people for Easter this year. We saw over 300 people born again and baptized, walk the aisle, write a decision for Christ. And so God's doing some things. Something else that we're very proud of, this past Wednesday night, we launched our midweek experiences, which church-wide is life groups, life groups of all ages, And so this past Wednesday night and Thursday night, there's so many life groups, we're out of space, we have to do them on two nights. So if you go to Rochester Assembly, you get two nights to pick. Do you want to go Wednesday night or do you want to go Thursday night? Which night best suits your family? We have ministry for all ages, kids, adults, whole nine yards. So we launched with over 700 open enrollments for life groups and over 58 life groups. So we are just thrilled. all God is doing there. Now, the best part of everything I told you today, I don't know if they still have a picture if you don't, no big deal, but I have a beautiful wife now of going on 10 years. She's my soulmate, my best friend. She's my humbler when I need to be humbled, and she's my builder-upper when I need to be built up. She's the mother to my three children. We have a 6-year-old daughter. We have a 4-year-old daughter, and we have a 2-year-old son, Finley Fisher and Foster. So you say, today, Pastor, what's up with, you know, sharing all this personal information and and giving, uh, you know, honor to Pastor Tony. I've just discovered over the years of my life, even though that I probably don't need an introduction here, it's a little bit easier for people to relate and to connect when they know a little bit about you, know where you're from, know your story. And so one of the best parts of my story now is I got sober off of an IV drug addiction, cocaine or anything you could burn and turn into liquid and shoot in your arm 19 years ago. The saving grace of Jesus. The saving grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit has kept me clean and sober and preaching the gospel every since then, 19 years ago. Never been high another day in my life, and I can say that boldly today because he's that good. So I've also discovered oftentimes that, that this book is an inspired book, right? The Bible says that every word is given by inspiration from God. And if you keep reading the verse, it goes on to say there in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing me exactly where it was at in the book. The Bible says that every word in this book is profitable for rebuke and for correction, for edification and for instructions in righteousness. What we see there in that verse is that the word of God is inspired by God. But this word is a two-edged sword that sometimes is meant to correct us and sometimes is meant to encourage us. Sometimes it's meant to tear some things down and sometimes it's meant to build some things up. And what I've really taken issue with over the last latter years of my life is oftentimes people just want to preach the cotton candy side of the gospel. You're going to feel good. You're going to look good. Everything's going to be good. And that's the truth. But at the same time, how many of you know with this fallen human nature we have, some of us every once in a while need to hear some hard truth. And hard truth, what I've discovered about the born-again spirit, challenges the born-again spirit to crucify more of the flesh. Somebody ought to tweet that. When you get challenged from the Word of God, the born-again nature inside of you is challenged to live out a more holy life and to crucify sinful nature of the flesh. What I'm saying is, is the born again nature responds to high calling and preaching. When the word says you should be called up to this new level and standard of life, that nature inside of you responds to that. So to tile that up this morning as a former introduction to get into Genesis chapter 22, a message that I've entitled the Redeemer. Here it is with a cherry on top, gift wrap dropped off on your doorstep. I'm probably going to preach some things today that are a little bit tough for your ears to hear, but I'm hoping because you know who I am and where I've come from that it's a little more relatable for you to receive what I have to say by the Spirit of God today. Amen or oh me? Did you come to the right church today or should you have gone somewhere else? All right, Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1 here. And it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Somebody underline that word, tested, tested that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. How many of you know when God calls on you, you say, hey, yeah, you looking for me? Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for a burnt offering, and he arose, and he went to the place that God had told him. Now, check this out. On the third day, Abram lifted his eyes, and he saw that place off from afar. And Abram said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder, and we will worship. Now, I can prove to you that Abraham was from Vicksburg, Mississippi, because only people in Vicksburg, Mississippi use words like yonder. Just kidding. Abraham said, We will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, excuse me, but Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. Then he said, Look, The fire and the wood we have, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the offering, for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there, and he placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and he laid him on the altar and upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here am I. And he said, Do not lay a hand on the lad, or do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abram lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behind him there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went And he took the ram and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son Isaac. And Abram called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Somebody say that, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Wow, I wish I had time to preach that. Verse number 15, I know this is a lot of reading, but it's going to set us up for a lot of preaching. Verse number 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing I will not withhold from your your son, I will not withhold your son, your only son's blessing, I will bless you, multiply, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sands of the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and arose there and went together to Bathsheba, and Abram dwelt in Bathsheba. Bow your heads and let's pray. Dear Lord, most loving and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again today for this beautiful church, this great gathering of people, for these pastors that serve yearly here over your flock. God, today I ask for the anointing to come do with me and through me what I am inadequate unable, in and of myself to do. I ask it all today in Jesus' precious name, if the church would say amen and amen. Pastor, I'm going to take this coat off here because i got a few things that I need to share if you'd give me a moment. I want to speak to us this morning of, on the subject of the seven redemptive names of God, the seven redemptive names of God. I really would love the time this morning to go in-depth into the cultural insight of Genesis chapter 22. I don't have time this morning to go super, super deep to lay bare the culture and the context of the setting of Genesis 22. But I do want to mention several high points that the next time you read Genesis 22, you should know. Now, if you have a pen and a piece of paper, I would greatly encourage you to write some of these things down. Number one, in verse two, there is a word mentioned there called Moriah, Mount Moriah. I don't know if you know this, but Mount Moriah, this mountain where Abraham took his son Isaac up to offer him as a sacrifice, is the mountain of the original bedrock, the original stone that the Jewish religion teaches that God used to create the earth. Do you want to know what mountain that is? That is Jerusalem. Do you know what sets on top of that mountain, Mount Moriah? The Temple Mount. Do you know who was also sacrificed on that mountain as a sacrificial lamb for the world? His name is King Jesus. I don't know if you know that's the same mountain. This is one of the clearest pictures in all of the Old Covenant, all of the Old Testament, where God is painting a foreshadowing picture of the coming of his son, Jesus, even down to the very mountain. You may notice here that it says third day, also a parallel, talking about the three days that Jesus would spend in the heart of the earth. Now, we are aware that Mount Moriah is synonymous with the crucifixion place of Christ, but notice again the parallelisms between the use of the term third day Each of these stories, the term third day plays a huge part in these sacrificial stories. Verse number five, look what Abraham says. He says to the two servants that are traveling with him, we will come back to you. But Abram knew from God that he was calling Abram up to the mountain. He already has the wood. He knows he's going to build an altar and he knows he's called to sacrifice his son. But Abram turned and either lies to the servants and says, we will come back. You guys stay right here. Me and the lad will go over yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Either Abram is lying to his servants that they're coming back, or he's speaking by faith that even if he kills him, God will raise him from the dead. Amen? I wonder if our faith is at that place today that we could say, we will come back. We will come back to that place of a healthy marriage. We will come back to that place of a church on fire and experiencing revival. We will come back to that place of an intimate relationship with the Lord. And some people may look at you and look around you. We will come back to that place of sobriety. We will come back to that place of wholeness. We will come back. And some people may say, that is the lionest dog I've ever met. He knows good and well they're getting a divorce. sometimes we just have to declare truth, God's truth by faith. And I think that's what Abram did. Again, look right here in verse number 6. It says that he laid the wood on Isaac's shoulders. Does anyone remember in the New Covenant where this same Jesus is walking an all too familiar path known as the Via De La Rosa, and he's carrying the cross member of the cross on his back through the streets of Jerusalem as he's wandering up, being whipped up Mount Moriah, where thousands of years before, Isaac has carried the wood up the same mountain to be a human son, only son sacrifice. Did you know all that was in there? Have you ever heard this before? All right, let's keep going. I love in verse 8 that Abram says, God will provide a lamb for himself. Abram has this radical, audacious faith, Or he, like the high priest in the new covenant, is speaking prophetically, and he doesn't even know he's speaking prophetically. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you declare, you just said something, and then later come back to realize what God, when you were prompted to say that, even though it didn't make sense in the moment. It didn't make sense in the season, but later, years later, you realize that what God prompted you to speak, like Jeremiah, it was fire shut up in your bones. You couldn't contain it. You just spit that word out. Years later, you came back to realize that I just prophesied by the Spirit of the Lord what was going to be my, and I didn't even realize it. I don't know which of the two that either he already knew or that he was just prophesying not knowing, but he said, God will provide a lamb for himself, and the lamb that we know God provided was the lamb, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a phrase in verse number nine that says he bound the lad to the altar and laid him there. Now, I want you to know, being a student of the book, having studied the book and continuing to study the book, I need a very small child, a very small child in this room, smallest child in this room. Okay, would you stand up, sweetie? I promise I won't call you out. I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to preach or dance or to do any. Oh, look at her right now. Okay, who's... Who's mom? Is, are you mom? Are you? Is, how how old are you, sweetie? Eleven, and you are very, very, very cute. What's your name? Anna. Okay, you can have a seat, Anna. Does anyone see how little Anna is? Cute and eleven. So, what I want you to know now. What's your name, sweetie? Would you stand up right here? Would you stand up? What's your name? Rachel and Anna and Rachel. I'm two for two. Bible names so far. How old are you? 12. Okay, everybody get a good look at Anna and Rachel. What I think we do, and by the way, side note extra nugget, this is a great book to get into study. It's called Misreading the Scriptures Through a Western Mindset. It's one of the greatest hindrances to the western mind. Hey. 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 It's one of the greatest hindrances to the to the Christian in America is we have a tendency to misread this book. Through Western eyes. And what we think is Abrams got Anna, got Rachel, but he's a boy named Isaac, and he's 10 or he's 11 or he's a little bitty lad, and he's leading him up this mountain. But he's toting the lumber. Go back and do the chronological studies. He was not 11 years old. He wasn't 4 years old. He was a 16, 17-year-old, 18, young 20-year-old man. And Abram now, nearing the end of his life, is an olding, an aging, feeble man. Do you think Abram actually bound him to this altar and tied him down and held him down like maybe we could think we could do to one of these children? God forbid anyone ever do that. But what I want you to see here is that Isaac was a willing sacrifice. Isaac knew toting the lumber, toting the fire, going up the mountain, he says to his father, it's, we have the wood, we have the fire. There's no sacrifice. I'm starting to feel a little bit weird about being the sacrifice dad. You say, what's the point in mentioning this today? I mention that because sometimes we too in life are asked to do some things, to lay down some things that seem, obstinate to what we want to happen is the outcome. Oh, I can't get ahead of myself. I better leave that alone. Really what I want you to see is that that Jesus was a willing sacrifice, that Jesus said the Jewish people didn't take my life from me, the Greek people, Gentiles didn't take my life from me, but I freely laid my life down, just like Isaac freely laid himself down on that altar to be bound and tied down. I don't want to get ahead of myself and go to talking about your willingness to lay some things down, but just prepare your heart and your mind to know that it's coming. Verse number 13, it says there was a ram caught up in the thicket. There was a ram caught up in the thicket. Up till this point, all of the imagery has been spoken in this passage, Genesis 22, about a lamb. However, Jehovah did not provide a lamb that day. He provided a ram. Why? Why? You may ask, because God is very, very, very particular. He's peculiar about the symbolisms that he uses in the Bible while painting a foreshadowing picture of Christ. The lamb wouldn't die that day. A ram would die that day. If you don't believe God is very careful about the prophetic pictures and foreshadowings of Christ, you better ask Moses why he was barred from ever going into the promised land. God allowed Moses to strike the rock once but commanded Moses to speak to the rock the next time to get water. He's ever answered that riddle for you? Christ, the rock of ages, would only be struck one time for all humanity. And then man gets living water gushing from the eternal rock of ages by speaking to it. And when Moses struck that rock the second time, God said, You're no more good for my use. You disobeyed me. You mar the prophetic images. You'll never go into the promised land. Seems pretty tough for his favorite servant, Moses. Anyways, let me get back on track. Look at this in verse number 16. He begins to praise Abram. He said, you did not withhold your son. But check this out, Pastor Tony. In verse 16, he said, you did not withhold your son. You did not withhold your only son. Did you know that is the only time that phrase is mentioned like that in parallel to John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What I'm trying to show you is the next time... You read Genesis 22. No, Abraham was an old man. No, Isaac was a strapping young lad. No, Abram had radical faith. Know that this passage is filled with prophetic pictures and parallelisms that speak almost with ultra clarity to the coming of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing chapter of the Bible. Now, here's what I love. Last one, and then I'll get on with the get on. Number 18. He says, in your offspring, all nations shall be blessed in your offspring after he laid the boy down and god said i know now that you fear me don't hurt him he said blessing i will bless you multiplying i will multiply you your descendants will be as the sands of the seashore and as the stars of the heavens and through this seed all the nations of the world shall be blessed can i tell you what paul the apostle how many of you love paul can i tell you what paul said in the book of galatians Paul said, the reason that I said Abram may have known what he was doing, Paul said that God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. Paul the apostle writes in Galatians chapter 3 and says, God preached the gospel to Abraham. And you say, well, how are all nations blessed by this seed? You ready for it? I'm going to give you a quick, real quick, genealogical study and breakdown in, in 30 seconds. From Abram came Isaac, the son from Isaac came Jacob the deceiver, who was renamed the prince to forever reign with God, who became Israel. From Israel came the twelve tribes of Israel. From the twelve tribes of Israel, one of the tribes was a son by the name of Judah. The king, by the the son by the name of Judah, eventually gave birth through a Gentile woman who was married to Boaz, a son by the name, a grandson by the name. From King David came a son by the name of Solomon. From Solomon came a son by the name. No, 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 no. Jesus isn't Solomon's bloodline. From King David came a son by the name of Nathan, who was named after the prophet that walked into David's king chamber and said, you are this man. David thought so much of Nathan, the prophet who rebuked him for sleeping with Bathsheba and killing Uriah the Hittite. He named his son Nathan after him. And from Nathan came a little virgin girl by the name of Mary. And from the little virgin girl in her womb, the word became fleshed and his name became Jesus. And from Jesus, believing this same promise of a self-sacrificing son that would walk up Mount Moriah's hill, carrying his old lumber. When you believed into that promise, you became the sons and the daughters of God in the believing family of Abraham Abraham. All the nations of the world are blessed through Isaac. That's all in that book. That's all in that book. But that's not what I come to talk to you about today. Now let me get on to what I came to talk to you about today. I just had to soften you up a little with the one-two punch. See, what I really came to talk to you about today was the seven redemptive names of God. Did you see that redemptive name of God that's in this passage of Scripture? Check this out. In this passage of Scripture here, in verse number 14, it says, And Abram called the name of that place, which was Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord, He will provide. Now, side note, side note, let me just give you a little help. Does anyone know what happened look in the book of Psalms in the superscript, it's called the song of the ascent. When the Jewish people would begin to walk up to Jerusalem, up Mount Moriah, they would sing the song of the ascent as they were walking up to Temple Mount, they would begin to worship. Do you know what happens when you walk into church on Sunday morning, you start singing the song of the ascent, you start singing the song of the Lord. Check this out. It says, and in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Did you know that you can come to church on Sunday morning and whether there's a parking lot attendant or not, God can provide for you. Whether somebody meets you at the door and shakes your hand or hugs your neck, which a church should have that, God can still provide for you even if they don't. No matter if the preacher preaches your favorite sermon or the worship pastor ever sings your favorite song, that if you begin to ascend the mountain of the Lord, if you begin to worship whatever you're needing today, come on, somebody. If you need healing in this room today, if you need deliverance in in this room today, if you need wholeness in this room today, if you need ministry freedom in this room, if you need a physical touch today, it will be provided in the mountain of the Lord. I just want you to see, besides all that other stuff that I've shared, that what we're really talking about is one of the seven redemptive names of God. And Abram said, this name of this place will be, the Lord will provide, the Lord will provide. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but having grown up in the South, I have come to know that God, like God the Father of the Bible, he has many names. And during my time as a Christian and during my time in church, I have heard him called eternal God. I have heard him called Everlasting Father. I have called. I have heard him called, and I have too called him the Great Amen, the Master, the Rock of Ages, the Lily of the Valley, the Shepherd, the Almighty, the Great I Am, the Adonai, the Elohim, the El Shaddai, Yahweh, or Yahweh, or the Holy Name of God in the Tetragrammaton, or the name Jehovah. If you add in the English alphabet. I've heard every one of those names used to refer to Almighty God. But I want you to know that there are seven specific names in this Bible, seven specific names known as the seven redemptive names of God, seven redemptive names of God. What are you saying, preacher? God has many names. Yes, I am. But I'm also telling you there are seven names known as the seven redemptive names. And in signifying that these are redemptive, I want you to know that every one of these names has healing power. Every one of these names has delivering power. Every one of these names has making whole power. These are restorative names. And so this morning, what I want to do is just take a little time and, and minister one of those names today and watch him restore and watch him heal and watch him deliver and watch him make free. Does anyone need any of that today? Anyone need some healing? Anyone needs some deliverance? Before we jump headfirst into that, I want to introduce the one word, or the one name that I really want to work with this morning, and it is the name, you ready? Jehovah-Jireh, Jehovah-Jireh. And Jehovah-Jireh means what? The Lord is my provider. Did you know what Abraham actually said on that mountain when he said, this is the mountain of the Lord where it will be provided? He said in the Hebrew language, Yahweh, Jehovah, no J's, or as we would say in the English language, Jaira, Yahweh, Jaira, is what he said, and my Hebrew's bad pronunciation, but that's what he said that day, this is the first inception of one of these seven redemptive names of the Lord, but To help you further understand this name and to show you something maybe you've never seen that is going to be very, very, very important to what I'm about to share and to help us jump off today, I want to show you this. The Hebrew word Ra. Can anyone make the sound of a roaring lion? Ra. Can anyone do that? R A A H. Say Ra. The Hebrew word Ra, from which Yaira or Jaira is. So the Hebrew word, "ra," where the word Hebrew, "yaira" is derived, means and comes from the root word to see. You following me? Stay with me. I'm going to show you something here. In case, in this case, it is translated in the English language, not that he's Jehovah that can see. It is translated into the English language. He's Jehovah that can provide. But if you were to take those two points, which seem to be polar opposites, they seem to be contradictory to one another, and you look at them a little more closely, what you'll begin to see that the Bible's trying to tell you is since God is Ra, since God is Jaira, since God is the one who exists outside of time, outside of space, he created time and space, he's the God that can see into your future. Since he can see into your future, it stands the reason that he's the God that can also provide for your future since he's the one that lives in your future and can see what you will need. Did you know that's what it means? Jehovah Yireh means he already can see down the road. He's already in your tomorrow. He's already in your 10th anniversary. He's already in your destiny. So every time you start saying my Jehovah is Jireh I want to do away with this nonsense that's been preached in the church for the last 30 years that oh you can break that down and equate it to you can walk up to the mailbox he Jehovah Jireh. They're Gonna be a thousand dollar check in my mailbox I didn't have to go to work today ha I didn't have to get an education today ha I didn't have to do this today I could just lay up on the spiritual welfare system that God is creating and God will send me a thousand dollar check baloney that is not what Jehovah Jireh means Jehovah Jireh means that he's God all by himself and he's the God that created time and space and he can already see into my future he knows what I'm going to need and he will provide for me even there remember what Jesus said don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will have its own cares said just stay in the day the other side of I think what Jesus is saying is that God that can see your tomorrow is already in your tomorrow. And just like there will be problems there in that day, tomorrow, there will be provision there in that day, tomorrow. Come on, somebody. You ever seen that in the book? Now, let me just keep showing you a little bit more here, a little bit more here. Interestingly, the English word, the English word, I never knew this before. The English word provision is made up from two Latin words that mean to see beforehand. The English word provision is made up of two Latin words that come from and mean to see beforehand. So the reason the English Bible says he's Jehovah Jireh, he's the Lord, my provider, is because provision literally means from the original language, Latin, to see beforehand. It's like a mom and a dad. My friend, how's business going? How are things at at the family business over there? You still have those pretty little girls. Don't you have two little children, two little girls? And what are their ages now? Twelve and ten. And when I started coming here, I guess they were nine and seven. I mean, it's been a few years, young years ago. And they were so little, and we'd go out to eat with them, and you'd say, hey, don't touch that, honey. It's hot at the Chinese buffet. Or, hey, come back over here. Don't step out in front of that cement truck flying through the parking lot up here because mama and daddy can see a little more down the road than you can. Mama and daddy have a little more experience. Mom and daddy are going to make sure you got shoes tomorrow. We're going to make sure you brush your teeth tonight. We're going to make sure that you live right, that you're in church, that your belief system is. We're going to help you graduate school and to get into college because we, we've been down the road. I want you to know that's the same and can be said of God. He's been down the road before. He created the blooming road for heaven's sake. He can see into your tomorrow. And because He can see into your tomorrow, He will provide for you there. There will be provision for you there. You say, well, aren't you preaching the very thing that you said you're not preaching? Aren't you preaching that we can just la-di-da-di-da, flippantly bounce our way through life carelessly, irresponsibly, and God take care of us? No, I'm not. I'm about to show you something that's going to show you your part as we now understand God's part. See, the truth of the matter is, The reason the ram was caught in the bush that day is because the ram was already on the mountain. The ram didn't magically appear when Abram binded Isaac down. That's called misreading the scriptures through Western eyes. God didn't all of a sudden, the Bible didn't record it as a miracle, say, now that you obeyed me, There's your ram. Hey, don't kill the boy. No, the ram was on the mountain. The ram was on Moriah's mountain. He may not have been caught in a thicket, but he was already on Mount Moriah before Isaac ever went up there. Oh, my goodness, my friend, you about to get a download from heaven. But what that tells me about Jehovah is. Yahweh, the one that can see into my future, the one that can provide for my future, he saw me he saw Abram going up the mountain. He saw me willing to sacrifice my son. He saw Isaac willing to lay down on the altar. He saw Isaac willing to die long before I ever bundled up the wood, long before I ever took the knife, long before the boy ever laid down. And because the God who can see unto my tomorrow that can also provide for my tomorrow, he's already got the rams in the bushes for my tomorrow as I march ever so slowly in faith, in obedience, into what he has called me to do. Now, here's where most people miss it. I want you to know Abram was a free will moral agent. Abram had two feet. They were under his own control. He had a son. He had two feet. They could have also walked up any other mountain. They could have also saddled the donkey and rode the other way and left lock, stock, and barrel. And you want to know what I'm showing you? So the provision of God for our lives, yes, it's very supernatural. The one that can see down the road, the one that has the providing power for us is oftentimes very, very contingent on our faith and our obedience to walk into our destiny that he's called for us to walk into. You say, well, how come things have been so tough? lately?" How can The first thing I would say is, where did I get off track? Where did I miss you? Where did I get into self? Where did I get into flesh? Where did I start doing my own thing, God? Because, God, I know you gave me a word. I know you gave me a promise. I know you would provide for me. I know you're the God that has my provision for my tomorrow before I even get there. But, God, where did I miss you at? I better leave that alone. I'll get run out of here today. All right, really, all I came to teach about this morning is three simple words. Number one, test, test, test. Test. How many of you like the word test? That's right up there. That's like a Christian cuss word. That's right up there with fasting. That's right up there with tithing. That's right up there with obedience. That's right up there with church attendance. Test. What do you mean test? Ain't nobody going to be testing me. Who are you to test me? Somebody need to test you. That's the spirit that we have today. It's an ugly word. Test. I don't like no test. We don't like test in general. Look at this. Verses number one and two, now it came to pass after these things that God, God did what? God tested Abraham. Now, I know this is tough for us to realize today and to wrap our hearts and minds around, but I want to show you that God testing Abraham didn't start that day. God tested Abraham throughout the entirety of his life in three separate ways. I'm going to give them to you real quick. Number one. Have you ever done what I just did a year ago? Have you ever got a word from God that says move away from home, move away from business, move away from calling, move away from friend, move away from family member? If you've never got that word from God, you will never understand what it means to walk away from absolutely everything to follow God into a radical obedience of what he's called you to into the next season. But my friend Abram was an Ur of Chaldean Mesopotamian man he was the son of a polytheist he worshipped many gods and Abram's first word from God was come out from among your family come out from among your household come out from your land and go to a place that I will show you that you know not of the first calling of almighty God to Abram before he was ever Abraham was get away from the dope dealers Get away from the family members. Get away from the boyfriends. Get away from the gal friends. Get away from her. Get away from him. Get away from them. And even if you got to uproot from Vicksburg, even if you got to uproot from West Monroe, even if you got to uproot from Roger, get away and go to a place that I will show you. And we all know that Abram, I wish I had time to show you this, he passed that test. He passed that test. And if I had time to show you this in detail today, it was a process. Abram did not wake up one day and make the right decision and go into the land of Canaan. Actually, I'll give you one hint. Do you know the very first place Abram went? The very first place Abram went, literally the name of the city means halfway. Abram went halfway with his commitment to God the first time. And do you know who actually led Abram to the halfway point? His own father father god told him to get away from him. god said come out from among your father's house come out from among your family members come out from among your land and go to a place i'll show and abram didn't even have the faith to believe for what god said tara abram's father let him out and he let him out i'm trying to think of the name of the city it may have been sinar but the place tara believed more in abram's calling than abram and he only led him halfway and it wasn't until his father died that abram finally obeyed and went all the way into Canaan. it was a test that's just the Second test, you ready for this? God tells Abram, I want you to trust me. Trust this promise, this covenant that I'm telling you, I will give you this land. God said, you've got to believe me that this land, that's not your land, even though you're not going to get to live there and you're going to have to run to Egypt at times and you're going to have to run over here and you may never get to dwell there and see your descendants dwell there. One day I'm going to give that land to Canaan to your descendants. Now, this one's really tough for me. What if God gives us a promise we never see in our lifetime? But that's exactly what happened to Abram in the land of Canaan. And Abram kept faithfully believing. All right, let me give you the third one. Then God comes back and he says, I'm going to test you for the promise of your son. You're going to have a son from your own loins, and he's going to be your heir. And through him... All that big radical story I just told you is going to happen. And we know that Abram throughout his life tried to fulfill God's plan in his own ways. He tried to bring in a servant. He tried to have another son. He tried to make his own servant uh, the heir. He did all of these different things because he was struggling. He was a man. But what I'm trying to get you to see, even though it's very hard for us to hear, is that God was testing Abraham. And according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, look at this. God will sometimes test you and I as well. So be be truly glad there is wonderful joy of head even though you must endure many trials, you must endure many tests. It'll just be for a little while. These little tests, these little trials will show that your faith is genuine, and once you have been tested, once your faith has been refined, it'll come out as pure gold, and your faith will be far more precious to you than any silver, gold, jewel, or ruby. So when your faith remains strong, after you've been through many trials, many tests from the Lord, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day that you stand before Jesus Christ, and when He is revealed to the whole world. Do you know what that scripture just says? That one day after you've gone through tests your entire Christian life, if you get it right when Jesus is revealed to the world, you won't have to hold your head low. You'll be able with honor and dignity to stand up with a faith that led you out of your own home that led you away from your family, that led you out of addiction, that caused you to believe in the inheritance of a promise, of a new land, of a new future, a promise that told you to even at times give away things and do things, sacrifice and surrender things that you didn't think you could sacrifice and surrender. After you've walked all that out, even though you may not do it perfectly in your humanity, after the end and that's all done, that faith that's been built in your relationship with God, that's been tested by the fire, by trial, by tribulation, one day you'll be able to boast in something that's far more precious than any gold, any jewel or any ruby. Well, if God don't test us, why is that scripture in the Bible? Let me tell you something. God tested Abraham. God will test you. But I want you to know why God was testing Abraham. If God is the God who can see Stacy. If God is the God that already knew what Abraham would do and already put the ram on the mountain, why the test? If you already know since you're God all by yourself, why test me? God wasn't trying to prove to Abram that he believed in Abram. What he was trying to tell Abram was, I need you to go through the test so you'll believe in you. So that you God's not trying to test you so that God's not trying to test you. So God can know what's in you. God already knows what's in you. God's testing you so you'll know what's in you. So you'll know what manner of spirit you're of. So you'll know the strength that you have in the Lord. He's testing Abram. He's testing you. It's not to prove to him. He's God. He already knows. It's to prove to you. But you may not know this. Did you know that times of testing actually unite you and I to Christ? You know, the Bible talks about instead that we should be very glad For these tests, these trials that we experience in this life, they make us partners with Christ to experience his suffering. The Bible is filled with these scriptures where when we go through tests, where when we go through trials, that God is proving to us what our faith really is, how important he really is in our lives, how close we really are to him. It's building strength in us. It's building hope in us. It's building character in us. And it's also making us more like Jesus. I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to carry a cross. (laughs) That's called man made religion. That's called, you want me to tell you what that's called doctrinally? That's called universalism. Everybody's going to be saved. We all good. God loves us so much, we all good already. No, there's a process, there's a purpose for the test. Did you know, and I don't have time to go into great detail today, but after tests, the Bible says this. Over and over, from Old Testament to New, after test always comes reward. Listen to this. For we give great honor to those who endure the sufferings and the trials, the test of this life. For instance, you know about Job, a man with great endurance who who withstood many tests, many trials. And you can see at the end of his life how God was kind to him and was full of tender mercy to him. I wish I had time to show you. Example after example where when we go through tests and God will test us to show you, Stacey, what's in you, to unite you to Christ. That at the end of those tests, you end up with a reward that is far more valuable than money. You end up with a reward. It's called Christ's likeness. You end up with a reward where God says, Well done now, good and faithful servant. He begins to pour out blessing. Oh, I know this isn't a stand up and run around the room and get excited. This is a very challenging word. That's why I eased into it this morning. I just want you to know, my friend, in the midst of this wonderful chapter, in the midst of all this context, in the midst of God being the God who created your down the road experience, the God who can see there, the God that's already got provision there, that in the middle of this whole thing, sometimes there will be some tests. God just don't. Boom. You ride into the middle of your destiny. There will be some tests along the road. And in these tests, you end up taking on the shape of Christ. You end up becoming more like Christ. You end up with a reward knowing who you are, knowing your character, knowing your integrity, knowing your connection to the Lord. You end up with a reward that is far more better than anything man can give you. And then at the end, on top of that, God blesses at the end. Number two, I need another word today, and I'm going to speed up. The pace here just a little bit. Number two, I want to move to the word release. Release. It's found in verses 9 and 10. Then they came to the place which God had told him, Abram then built an altar there, and he placed the wood all in order. And then he began to bind Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar, upon that altar of wood. And Abram then stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his own son, did you know that in Abraham's life... He was called in this very moment. Are you ready? All those promises that God had ever made him. Right now in this moment, he's happened to release them. Because if there is no son, then there is no covenant. If there is no covenant, there is no promise. If there is no promise, there is no land. Abram is about to relinquish and to release everything that God has ever promised him. And what I've discovered in life is sometimes we must release what is in our own hand. We must release what is in our own control. In the West, we're taught to get all you can and then can all you get. Oftentimes, we go through our lives as Americans clutching in our hands everything that's good, and it comes to us and stuffing it down in a sock and hiding it in a 401K and stuffing it back in a dresser somewhere, putting it back for tomorrow. We're always stuffing. We're always hoarding. We're always saving. We're always putting it back. And sometimes God says, no, the miracle you want, the freedom you want, it's in the releasing of the promise. It's in releasing of the dream. It's in releasing of the marriage. It's in releasing of the son. It's in releasing of your future. Maybe that's why King Solomon said, the wisest man next to Jesus that ever walked on the earth. He said, my friend, if you want to know if it's really yours, you need to let it go. And if you can let it go and it finds its way back to you, it's given to you of Almighty God. He said, cast your bread upon the waters, and in not many days it will return to you. We find true life in our life by surrendering to God John chapter 12 verse 20 verse 12 chapter 12 verse 25 said this to those that love their own life in this world one day it'll be snuffed out and taken from you but those who care nothing for this life and care nothing for the possessions of this world one day you'll find true life and you'll keep it all for eternity John says that if you go on clutching, hoarding what you have now and what you think you've done for yourself now, that's all you're ever going to end up with. But if you learn to say what I have is from God, what I need is a relationship, I can give it all away. I can let it more. All of a sudden, you'll step over into a new realm of relationship, over into a new realm of intimacy, over into a new realm of blessing, a new realm of provision, and then you'll find true life. And have it all for eternity. See the difference? Listen to this. I love this. God may even allow things in our lives that seem to destroy our hopes and dreams. So that later he can fulfill the hopes and dreams that all of us have in a greater way. Put yourself in the disciples' Shoes In Mark chapter 14, I'm going to read it out of a plain version, beginning at verse 43, and immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples arrived with a crowd of armed men and swords and clubs, and they surrounded them, and they had been sent by the leading priest of the day and the teachers of the religious law and all the elders of Jerusalem. The traitor Judas is had given them the prearranged signal, you will know the very man, the one to arrest I will greet him with a kiss and then you can take him away under guard. And as soon as they all arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. He said, Rabbi, he exclaimed and then he bowed down and he gave him a kiss or kissed him on his neck. And then the others grabbed him and arrested him. But one of them who was with Jesus poured out his sword. Say, that be me, old Peter. Poured out his sword and he struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear, ear slashers. Jesus asked them, am I doing something dangerous? Dangerous like a revolutionary would that you would come out here to get me with swords and clubs and to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you every day teaching among you. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scripture says. Then all of the disciples How many of the disciples? All of the disciples deserted him and ran away. Put yourself there that day. Maybe you're the traitor. Maybe you're the ear slasher. Maybe you're the doubter. No matter who you were in that crowd that day, your dream just died. Your dream just died that he was the savior of the world. Your dream just died that he was the great revolutionary, that he was the one to overthrow the Roman government. And my friends, what I'm here to tell you today is oftentimes God works his purpose through the death of our vision the death, the releasing, the surrendering of a plan, of a purpose, of a calling of God. And then I've discovered that all of a sudden, after three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, all of a sudden on that Sunday morning, that angel sitting there and glowing and glistening light and said, Jesus is not here whom you see. And the next time they see Jesus, they don't see a bound Jesus crying out for people to let him go. You see a Jesus that's raised. He's in a brand new season. He's the Messiah risen. He's the firstborn from the dead, firstborn among many brothers. He's the slain lamb of God. He's the one that there's been a throne prepared for in heaven where the angels will sit around and worship him and say, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain, but yet lives again. All of a sudden, the next time you see Jesus, it's the end of one season, but it's the dawning of a brand new, more glorious season that none of, us ever could have dreamed or hoped for and the truth of the matter is what I'm trying to tell you today apart from the life of Jesus is that new life comes for all of us from the plans that God has given us the purposes God has given us the callings God has given us when we learn in our times of testing to release some things stop holding on to it trying to stuff it back and can it release it and let it go release it and let it go Number three, the last word. I want to ask you to maybe dim the house lights down a bit this morning. And if you wouldn't mind, maybe find some instrumental piano music in some way. I don't, I don't see any instruments here. I just put Josh on the spot. Until he let go of the sun. The Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he saw the ram that was behind him in the bush. And at that very You were already here before me. You already were on this mountain. You were already in this bush. You were already in my future. You were already, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who is my provider. Be some releasing. We've got to give up some things that we've grown very dear to. And as we release those things, as we get our mind and our eyes off of the job and off of the money and out of the friends and off of the futures and off of the association, all of a sudden we woke up and we step into a new realm of blessing and provision that wakes up our faith that God, you already worked it out for me. You already provided for me. You wouldn't wait on you to provide. You were waiting on me to get in that I'm in line, God, I've stepped right into my freedom, right into my brand new life, right into my tomorrow, right into your hope for me.